So pretty much right after I uploaded our last episode, Nebraska fired Scott Frost. After a one and two start and a recent loss to Georgia Southern in Lincoln, the school decided it was best to just rip off the Band-Aid. The writing was on the wall. So what does this all mean for the Sooners as they embark on their first trip to Nebraska since 2009? That's the $64,000 question. Some of you may believe in the theory that football teams get a little bump after they fire a head coach. And frankly, I buy into that. The idea is a coach gets fired. There's a bunch of change. The team feels like there's a fresh start and they go out and perform above expectation in that first game under the interim head coach. But according to the Action Network, based on data from last season, there's not enough evidence to suggest a clear bump for a team that just fired their head coach. The Action Network reports that in 2021, 12 FBS schools either fired their coach or mutually agreed to part ways before the end of the season. In that first game with the new interim head coach, teams went 6-6 six and six against the spread and just 4-8 and eight straight up. Power 5 programs went 4-3 and three against the spread and 3-4 and four straight up. Now, that's just one season of results, so it's not the end-all, be-all, but it is one data point potentially that favors Oklahoma going into Mickey Joseph's head coaching debut this Saturday. As the week has progressed, the betting market has trended towards Nebraska. OU opened as a 14-point favorite in some books, and as of this recording on Wednesday evening, the lines dropped 3.5 points to Oklahoma minus 10.5 in some books. That means betters are believing in the fired head coach bump. And if the Sooners don't take the Huskers seriously this Saturday, the betters are going to be proven correct. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Okay, here we go. We're back for another edition of West of Everest. And up next is the Sooners' biggest test to date. And as much as I'd like to be joking about that, because Nebraska, when all is said and done, may just be a really bad football team in 2022. I am not joking because the Huskers have a pretty darn good offense, certainly better than anything that UTEP and Kent State's put out there so far this season. And if Oklahoma's offense struggled for a half game, uh, a half rather, against that Kent State defense, then the Sooners are certainly capable of struggling against a bad Nebraska defense and what should be a hostile environment in Lincoln on the road on Saturday. Now, before we get going, I've got some good news to pass along. You all have, may have seen this already. I put it on the West of Everest Facebook page as well. And it would appear that our podcasts are once again populating in iTunes. We see the numbers, and we know that a lot of you still listen to the show on iTunes using the, uh, the iTunes podcast, the Apple podcast app. Uh, so we are very happy that you all should be able to access the show now in the way in which you normally do if, if you've been able to access it in a different way the past few days. So hopefully that problem does not reemerge as the season continues. So joining me, as always, to talk Oklahoma football for the second time in the last two days <laughs> uh, because our first episode uh, didn't, didn't work out, but we're going to do it again here, is Grant Benson. Grant, what is on your mind on this Thursday evening? Well, yeah, I think the second time around recording this podcast, I think we're really going to nail it. I think our first try yesterday was actually was one of the better shows we've done in a long time. But all that means is, man, is that we're just we're we're, we're going to perfect that one, and this one is also going to be one of the best ones we've done in a while. So I'm yeah, fired I'm up. I'm back. ready to go. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back immediately. I think our show yesterday it was fair to middling. It was fair to middling. Yeah, we could have done better. So I thought it was pretty good. I thought 
I thought that I thought it was good in the sense that we I, I, th- I thought we got a lot of our thoughts through without a lot of like riffraff or a lot of wasted time. Yeah. The, the one upside to redoing it today is that we're not on as much of a time crunch as yesterday because we did have, did have to skip through some things we normally get to. So, you know, maybe we'll be able to expand more on some on other topics that we actually didn't get to in the original podcast that nobody will ever hear. So with that, let's start with Oklahoma news and notes and big story uh, you know from the team on the offensive side of the football going into this Nebraska game is that Wanya Morris is expected back in the game after missing the first two uh, Brent Venables made that announcement on Tuesday and so we were talking uh, yesterday I'll, I'll say it again I mean I have no like inside information here but I just have a sense of the way Brent Venables talked about Wanya last week when my boss Dean Blevins asked Venables hey like when Wanya is able to play whenever that is is he going to be able to slide back into you know his role and get his job back? And Venables didn't you know tell Dean, hey, yes, he'll be the starter again. But the way in which Venables answered the question to me sounded like when Wanya is available, which he will be this Saturday, to me it sounded like Wanya is going to be able to get that yeah you know, that number one right tackle spot back. So I kind of think he's going to start on Saturday. Uh, but I know that you, I mean, it's not going to matter either way. He's going to play at some point. It just matters when. But uh, you know. He'll probably start, in my opinion. Uh, if not, what, Tyler Guyton will probably get that start at right tackle. And I think it's kind of what you're thinking too, right? Yeah, and I mean, I would just, I mean, this is a, a lot of the times the way this thing goes. Um, unless Wanye Morris is like, you know, had established himself in the fall and the spring as like, as one of the alpha guys there, as one of just the best players in general there, which I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that was the case with everything coming out. You know, most of the time we mostly just heard about Tyler Guyton. But no, I, I mean, I, I expect him to, uh, you know, to eventually take over in that game and play a majority of the snaps. But and this is mostly semantics it doesn't really matter. But I, I think Guyton is probably still going to start. Yeah. And obviously the offensive line needs some help. Uh, the first two games, a lot of up, a lot of down the entire first half against Kent State. People that know about offensive line uh, said a lot of negative things about that offensive line. So, yeah, I think uh, it's you know, I, I think it's. Um, you know, through the first two games of the season, it's I think it's clearly the biggest question mark on this team. Um, it's clearly the position group that has performed the worst out of all of them in the first two games collectively. You know, I, and it's it's kind of a surprise to me. I thought the offensive line going into the season was going to be one of the strengths of the team. So they just got to get better. Hey, there's obviously a history. There's a history of OU not being great in the first month of the season on the offensive line. Maybe outside of 2017. Um, you know, where they were good from, from beginning to end. But even that 2018 Joe Moore award-winning offensive line, it kind of, I mean, it took, it took until October before Creed Humphrey was even a starter on that offensive line. So we'll see. I know Bedenboe, a lot of the times, he mixes and matches, finds the right combination eventually. So this is one where I, we, we, we probably should give it some time because they probably will get better as the season goes on. We'll look a lot better. But still, I, it's it's concerning because they have not been good. In fact, they've you know arguably they've been bad. So we'll see how that plays out on Saturday with Wanye back into the fold. Good news, good news. Uh, on the injury front, Brent Venable said that the team is the healthiest it's been since fall camp, which is good news. Uh, you know maybe Key Lawrence will be back. I know Venable said that Key is. Uh, they're hopeful that he's going to be able to return from his hamstring injury. That. Kept him out of that Kent State game. Uh, obviously, the best case scenario for Oklahoma is that it's not that big of a deal. The injury, you know, maybe him sitting out against Kent State was a precaution, 
And the thought is, let's give him a couple extra days to get healthy, another extra week to get ready for Nebraska. Uh, but um, to your point, uh, in our never uh, our podcast that will never air yesterday, you said, I mean, even if Key's out, uh, you you mentioned that Justin Broyles played pretty well against Kent State, and uh, you know we should still feel pretty confident even if Key's not able to go. Yeah, and this guy, I mean, if it was if it was Oklahoma State or Texas or or even you know next week against Kansas State, you know may, maybe be a little bit more worried about that, but. Uh, Broyles was really solid last week against Kent State. I think all signs were pointing towards Key being back when when Venables was talking about it. it didn't seem like it was that serious. So I expect Key to be back, but even if he's not, it's there's no reason to panic about it at this point in time. Broyles has been has been has looked pretty good this year. I mean, way better than he looked at any point last year in the first two games, in my opinion. That may not mean much, um, but I think going into this game. There's some other teams on the schedule that would scare you more if Broyles is back there. I, I'm not necessarily sure Nebraska has to be one of them. And going into the season, maybe in our big season preview, or certainly at some point before the season began, we talked about how it's a, a you know, recurring joke on West of Everest going into a season. We're always excited about the secondary. And then by the end of the season, we're always disappointed in the secondary. So far through two games, though, I mean, you know, we were hopeful that the secondary, the depth there at corner and at safety – we thought it, you know, it was pretty good going into the season, but at the same time, though, we've had all these, all these seasons where we've thought it's good going in, but then it doesn't, it doesn't turn out to be good. Through two games, I think the secondary has performed very well, and they've been about what we hoped they would be, which is a great sign through two games. Yeah, I think they've been good. They've been good, and you know, it it, it helps obviously that, and and I know you know you haven't fully come around to this yet, even though I mean it's not like you're you're totally against what I'm about to say, but. Uh, Billy Bowman is clearly a dude, clearly, and um, OU has him in the secondary. And I don't remember the last time they had a dude in the secondary, so I that yeah, that helps. Yeah. I mean, it helps big time. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, for whatever reason. I'm just not. You know, maybe that's on me. I and to be honest, I actually have not gone back and rewatched more of the Kent State game, so I need to do that. Uh, you know, I think maybe it's his- maybe it's not as noticeable when you're there on the sideline shooting the game, Lee. Uh, when you watch on TV, he is just, he is everywhere, just comp- just everywhere, all over the field. What does come across in his in his play is his body language, and he does look way more confident and sure of himself. That definitely does come across, which is nice to see. But I, I will say, in the first couple of games last year, I, I know like when he was starting, I thought he looked pretty confident and sure of his, his role as a nickel, you know, and. Not saying like I, I think it's pretty obvious he's improved since then. Physically, he's two improved games. big time, big time. Sure, sure. So yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm very excited about his development, and everything that we've heard about him has been super positive. And he's a guy that wants to work really hard, and the coaching staff believes in him. And you know, we know that Brent Venables believes in him, and and he was seeing it in camp. He said he, you know, it goes back to about a month or so ago, whenever he was, you know, the best player on you know on defense in camp. So yeah, I. I Hopefully, uh, it's just, I don't know, I just, that first game, it seemed like maybe he was arriving a tick too late here and there, uh, but, you know, as, as the season progresses, and if Oklahoma can t- continue to get the kind of havoc numbers they're getting up front with their defensive line, their linebackers, you know, hopefully the, the turnover luck turns around and they can force more turnovers, and Billy Bowman will be somebody that can benefit from that as long, you know, as well as the rest of the secondary players. Yeah, Lee, in that, in that first game where he was getting to it a tick too late, I think that was more Gavin Hardison than anything. He had a lot of zip on his throws. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Eh, you know what? Let's skip that. I don't, I don't care about that. Let's 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 go on to 
So uh, the big news that dropped yesterday is that some future series with Georgia and Tennessee are postponed because of Oklahoma's move, their pending move to the SEC. And so uh, the Georgia series is going to be replaced by SMU and SMU home and home in Norman next season in 2023 at SMU in 2027. And the Tennessee series is still working to be replaced. And my initial thought, uh, you know, I texted you, and I think maybe you kind of thought, you know, before we thought about anything was like, oh, you know, maybe this will be a sign that 2023, a move to the SEC next season might be in play. But then as you and I kind of look more into it and you did some digging outside of OU, I think we kind of got to the conclusion that, okay, I don't know if this really signals that OU and Texas are going to leave early. Uh, and I still believe that 2024 is, is the most likely date if they do leave before 2025. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, and uh, you know, the, the circumstantial evidence for that is that the uh, the the Texas return trip to Tuscaloosa for next season was not canceled, um, and so I think it's pretty easy to fill in the blanks there to you know to suggest that this Georgia and Tennessee series they were canceled because there was going to be no way there, there there could be a return trip. So whereas Alabama and Texas are going to be able to to complete the contract that they had because Oklahoma and Texas are probably still going to be in the Big Twelve next year, and so if you actually do want to point to I know the contract says twenty twenty five would be the first year that OU could go based off it now. But, you know, I, I think this is more of a, you know, this is pointing more towards 2024 now because OU is supposed to go to Athens in 2024. And uh, that was wiped off the schedule now. Yeah, that's a, that's a great uh, explanation. That's, I feel like in our, our show yesterday, we didn't really lay that out as clear as that. So I'm glad you did that there. So yeah, yeah I if mean, you wanted to, not like, a whole lot to see here. If, yeah. if if you wanted to kind of motivate reason yourself into maybe it's 2023, you could you know you could say uh, maybe the SEC, maybe OU is going to play Georgia and Tennessee in their first rotation of the SEC. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think the fact that Texas and Alabama next year didn't get canceled is is honestly that's confirmation that and t- as long as that game still exists on the schedule, OU and Texas are not going to the SEC. Yeah, no, I think that's that makes sense. All right, so you know, let's just let's move on to the game. Let's let's talk OU Nebraska, and uh, that's you know that's why all of you are here. And number six Oklahoma. Uh, last I checked, ESPN has Oklahoma as an eleven point favorite at Nebraska. Eleven a.m. kick on Saturday. First eleven a.m. game. We're we're three games in, and, and this is our first eleven a.m. game. So not too bad. Heck, Alabama played an eleven a.m. game before OU did this year. That's something. Uh, all right. Well, who cares? <laughs> Uh, the big storyline for me, I mean, aside just obviously from what's going to happen on the field, is I, this is the first road game as a head coach for Brent Venables. How's that going to go? I tend to, to think it's going to be fine. I mean, the guy's a veteran coach. He's been in hostile territory before. He's never done it as a head coach. And, you know, who knows? Maybe we're going to get a chance to see Venables have to make some decisions here. He hasn't really had to do that in the first two games. A couple blowout wins. Uh, who knows? I, we're still the jury is still out as far as Brent Venables as a game day coach. And really, I mean, I think going into the year, we're not going to learn a whole lot from UTEP and Kent State uh, unless there was disaster. And, you know, we're going to the fourth quarter and that Kent State game was still seven to three or something. Then then we're having a whole different discussion uh, going you know after that game and going into this week. So Brent Venables, uh, you know, I'm not too worried about him right now, but, uh, you know, 90,000 Nebraska fans there sold out again and this is a stat that i didn't even know until this week and i probably should have known it nebraska has sold out every single home game since 1962 
384 straight sellouts. It'll be 385 on Saturday when OU comes to town. The biggest factor in this game might be how does Dylan Gabriel play? This will be by far the biggest stage he's ever played on. And I can go into some details here in a moment after I let Grant talk about uh, this whole situation about the road games that Dylan Gabriel has played in, mostly obviously all at UCF, and the situations he was in and how those games went and how his teams fared. And I'll just say right now, it's not great. So, Grant, I know that you're also going to be very uh, keenly aware of Dylan Gabriel and how he plays on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of the, you know, in a lot of ways – the performance of Dylan Gabriel and by extension the offensive line as well is the story for OU going into this game on Saturday. Um, I want to I want to be a little more charitable this this time around. I, I'm remembering when we recorded yesterday. You know the recording doesn't exist anymore. Uh, you know I was I I was trying to go in and be a little more positive about Dylan Gabriel, but in reality when we started recording, I got pretty cynical again. And so I want to be a little more charitable this time. But so if you know. You're right that we can't take a lot away from Kent State and UTEP, right? Anything like, you know, we, we can't make any declarative statements. But what we can take away from it is that there were times during the game, you know, full quarters, maybe, you know, against Kent State, full halves, maybe, where Dylan Gabriel just looked really limited, where he didn't look particularly comfortable, struggling to see the field, struggling to throw the ball away when he needed to throw it away. And these are things that concern me, especially when you're going against UTEP and Kent State. Um, that does not mean he can't get better. That does not mean that he can't get more comfortable uh, or more on the same page with his receivers. It's only to say up to this point in time, Dylan Gabriel, and I know he has good stats, but when you actually look at play-by-play and how he's performing physically, he doesn't look all that impressive so far. And I, I'm, it's, and you know, you're going to have, I, I guess to go back to it, he looks like he did at UCF, which means he's really good at throwing the deep ball when it's open and when it's schemed up. But when he's back there and he has to go through his progressions and sit in the pocket and find open receivers against the defense, he's not particularly good at that. That doesn't mean he can't be good at it, but right now he's, he's, he's not. And he hasn't, showed, he hasn't really shown that capability in the first two games and didn't in his entirety of his career at UCF. So I'm a little concerned. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I, I agree. I mean, he does look like he looked at UCF, which you think, well, that makes sense, right? He's, he's the same person. Obviously, he's a little older now, more experienced, didn't play a whole lot last year because of the injury. So in a way, it's like, okay, like what did we expect to get here, right? I mean, we're getting, we're getting the same guy we got at UCF. I guess the thought is you come in, you play at Oklahoma, people around you in theory are way more talented than anything you saw at UCF. You're back with Jeff Levy, so you're, you're comfortable with the system. You'd think as an older player, you're a veteran player, maybe you'd be a little bit better at some of those things that you weren't as good at at UCF. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's so interesting because you're right. His stats are very good. But eyeball test, and I know it's kind of a cliche, eyeball test, uh, it's not all very good. And it's, there's, some, there's, there's some that's left to be desired. And I would love nothing more than Dylan Gabriel to come out on Saturday and, I mean, look the same way he's played so far, but just throw the ball around the yard on Nebraska, same kind of numbers, and... Oklahoma puts up a lot of points, and you and I are like, okay, maybe, maybe we're being too hard on the guy because we've had some feedback from West of Everest listeners that maybe we're going too hard on Dylan Gabriel. That's totally fair. You, uh, that's a, certainly a defensible position. Uh, we're kind of coming from it at the, you know, the, I understand he's not Kyler Murray. He's not Baker Mayfield. He's not Jalen Hurts in a lot of different ways. I get that. Uh, but You're not Caleb Williams either. Oh, he's not even close to Caleb Williams. Not, not, not even, even close. remotely close. 
Uh, I'd much rather have this version of Dylan Gabriel right now, even through two games, than 2021 Spencer Rattler, though. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, so I do agree with so that. I, and I, you know, I, I do think, and this is me talking to myself here, I do think it's probably valuable to, to bring my mind back to that because in the preseason, you know, I was thinking, hey, it's like, hey, you know, even if Dylan Gabriel isn't great, I do think even if he is who he was at UCF, he's going to be better than, you know, first six games, 2021 Spencer Rattler. That has been the case so far. So we're grateful for that, of course. Um, I just, yeah, I, I, I think this OU team has a lot of good players on it. And I, 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 think a, I think a dynamic quarterback could really take them to the next level. I haven't seen that from Dylan Gabriel. That's a good way to put it. I agree. I 100% agree. And, you know, we're still wait, uh, we're waiting for Jalil Farouk to break out. Uh, Jeff Levy was asked about him this week, and uh, he, he said it's just the ball hadn't found him yet. But whenever he, you know, he'll get his shot. Uh, you know, he's a player that obviously a lot of us were excited about going into the year. You know, when's Farouk going to, you know, uh, burst out? Uh, Marvin Mims had his career game. We got to keep feeding the ball to Marvin Mims. That's that's got to be one of the main things. We'll get to it more as we talk more about the game plan or kind of what we are looking for in this OU Nebraska game. But also, I mean, guys like Drake Stoops can do stuff with the ball. Braden Willis was silent against Kent State. Maybe he'll be more of a factor against Nebraska, so on and so forth. So I, I did mention previously Dylan Gabriel's road games at UCF. And so I picked out five different games in his time at UCF that I considered to be big or somewhat big on the road and I totally eliminated the 2020 season because that was the year where you know COVID you know COVID affected attendance and it wasn't full stadium so you're not going to get the same kind of feel inside the stadium especially compared to what he's going to go through on Saturday you know in Lincoln again with 90,000 people so I was looking back in 2019 that's the biggest sample size and 2019 is when Jeff Lebby was there so it was Gabriel and Jeff Lebby and so he there's four games at Pitt, at Cincinnati, at Temple, and at Tulsa. In every single one of these games, UCF was the favorite on the road. They were road favorites. And in some instances, they were big road favorites. So the first one, at Pitt, that stadium, it's an NFL stadium. It holds 68,000 people, but only 42,000 showed up. So it was about, you know, what, two-thirds full, whatever the math is there, not even quite there. So, I mean, not a sold-out stadium going up against the Pitt Panthers. UCF came into that game as a 10-point road favorite and lost the game outright, 35-34. to Later in the year against Cincinnati, Nippert Stadium, that was sold out. It's a small bandbox type of stadium, though, only 40,000. And UCF went in as a 3.5-point favorite and lost the game outright, 27-24. Then that same year in 2019 at Temple, another NFL stadium, Holds 67,000 there, Lincoln Financial Field in Philly. Uh, wasn't even half full. 30,000 people went to that game, and that was the one good one where uh, UCF was, they were favored. I'm not sure what the line was, but it doesn't matter because UCF blew them out of the water, 63-21. Although Dylan Gabriel throwing the ball that game was only 10 of 20, uh, so he didn't throw it around much. They did a lot of damage on the ground. And then later in the year at Tulsa, UCF, a 17-point road favorite at Tulsa, which is not an intimidating place to play. And once again, UCF lost outright, this time 34-31. So that was all in 2019, 1-3 on the road, all as road favorites. And the UCF team lost. And then last season, the one road game that Dylan Gabriel played in before he was injured at Louisville, place holds 60,000. It was two-thirds full, 39,000 showed up. 
UCF was a touchdown favorite on the road, and UCF lost the game by a touchdown. And so that's one in four in somewhat big road games at UCF. And it's looking at his numbers in those games in 2019. He threw for a healthy amount of yards. He was getting his yards, but he also threw two interceptions against Pitt. He threw three interceptions against Cincinnati, threw two picks against Tulsa. But on the upside, looking at this year, small sample size, couple of home games, no turnovers for Dylan Gabriel so far. And that's something that I know you mentioned on the podcast yesterday that's never going to air. That's something that it's worth pointing out. He has not turned the ball over, even though we both think that he should have had at least one interception against UTEP. But, hey, it didn't count. And uh, that's definitely something that's positive for Dylan Gabriel. He's not turned it over. He's been smart with the football. Uh, and, by the way, last year against Louisville, he threw three touchdown passes to one interception against Louisville, uh, but just 184 yards through the air in that 42-35 loss to Louisville. And finally... Before I throw it back over to you, Grant, like I, I don't think Dylan Gabriel at this point, and I, I hope he turns into this, that would be best case scenario for Oklahoma. I don't think he's a player that's going to put the team on his back and go win a game by himself. I don't think he's that guy. Fortunately, though, what he did not have at UCF is a good defense. And Oklahoma's defense so far through two games has been good to really good. And I know that this sounds simple, but Brent Venable said, hey, yeah, I mean, one of the biggest keys to going on the road and, and you know, getting out of there with a win is playing great defense on the road. That, you know, you play great defense, takes the crowd out of the game, uh, and you go from there. And Gabriel is going to need his defense to continue to playing the way it has played because if Oklahoma's defense struggles at the start and the Sooners fall behind by a touchdown or two, heck, you know, three – I don't know if Dylan Gabriel in, in that kind of environment, I mean, Oklahoma's got a good offense. that they're, It's an offense that can be explosive, but at the same time, what's this team going to look like if, if they're down a couple of scores on the road? I don't know. Hopefully we don't, hopefully we don't find that out tomorrow. Or, I'm sorry, on Saturday. Yeah, I, um, I, you know, I, I think the game plan for Dylan Gabriel is it needs, he needs to be a game manager. They need to put him in, in good positions to get him in a rhythm early on, which means passes close to the line of scrimmage, easy reads for him. Not not having him sit back there and go through his progressions, I I, I think that would be foolish. Um, get the ball in and out really quickly. Really force Nebraska to tackle in space. That needs to be the game plan. Uh, get Dylan Gabriel in a rhythm. I, I just I it, I'd really hate to see those really quick three and outs in the first quarter again, especially on the road. Uh, don't don't let these guys have hope because that's going to be the most dangerous thing in this game. All right, we, we'll probably talk more about Dylan Gabriel later on when we discuss you know, Nebraska's defense, and oh boy, that, that, that's something to talk about. But uh, let's go over to the other quarterback in this game, and that's Casey Thompson. All very familiar with Casey Thompson. You know, this is something that I was going to bring up yesterday, but we were in a time crunch, so I didn't do it, but now I'll, I'll do it here. So Casey Thompson, Grant, is there ever going to be a situation again where one dude plays quarterback for, for uh, plays quarterback against like two of OU's biggest traditional rivals in two separate like back-to-back seasons, Texas last year and now this year against uh, Nebraska. Like, I mean, probably not. What a crazy. Right? I mean, I, I, I mean, it obviously could have never happened before because of the transfer policies that now are you know you can transfer and play right away. That's just it's so interesting. I mean, it doesn't matter that much, but just like Casey Thompson forever will be able to say, yeah, I, I'm an Oklahoman, but uh, <laughs> one year I was the quarterback at Texas. And played against Oklahoma, and then the next year I was the quarterback at Nebraska and played against Oklahoma. It's just kind of a 
kind of a weird piece of trivia maybe that we'll we'll all kind of know down the line <laughs> uh but anyways yeah casey thompson he we saw the best of him and the worst of him last year in that cotton bowl game i mean the first half went great did everything right and then after halftime texas didn't do a whole lot right ou's defense played really well and I think he I think he's got some talent. Uh, I mean, pretty good arm. Mark Whipple, the offensive coordinator, experience with Kenny Pickett the last couple of seasons. I think he's able to put Casey Thompson in advantageous spots. Uh, obviously, Whipple is still there, you know, with Frost gone. And, you know, he's throwing the ball down the field. Thompson's throwing it down the field, which you always want to see your quarterback do, 8.9 yards per attempt so far. That's really high. But as a comparison, though, to Dylan Gabriel's credit, Dylan Gabriel is is – way higher than that dylan gabriel is averaging 10.4 yards per attempt which is is really impressive and probably not going to hold up the rest of the season but if it did oh boy that <laughs> that means he that oklahoma's offense is really explosive uh but this oklahoma secondary they're going to be tested uh casey thompson's not afraid to throw it around the yard he'll throw it down the, the hash marks he'll throw it on the outsides uh his timing is really good with his, his receivers within this offense uh, especially against Georgia Southern last time out. And he's got some good skill position guys to get the ball to, I think. We'll talk a little bit about them uh, moving forward. But Grant, your thoughts on Casey Thompson? I think this is, you know, this is the danger zone in this game. Um, you know, I, I said this in, in the post-game pod when we were talking about Nebraska a little bit. The reason why I'm scared of this game, the reason why Nebraska makes me nervous is, and I'm not saying that they're a good team. They're not. They're clearly not a, a, a good team, a quote-unquote good team. But they can still complete forward passes down the field. They've done that in every single one of their games so far, and they've shown a, a little bit of competence with it. And Casey Thompson is Casey Thompson is just kind of your garden variety, slightly above average college quarterback. He is able to he's able to execute a game plan when it's laid out there perfectly for him. So, for instance, I'm thinking last year at Texas. Obviously, he was he was able to execute stuff that that Sark was was drawn up. He's able to execute it down the field, and when he sees something clearly, he can do it with accuracy down the field. There's nothing that says that Mark Whipple can't do that for Casey Thompson in this game. There's probably going to be stuff that is there. Um, I, I just, in college football, if the other team can complete forward passes with any sort of consistency, and the defense does is not just chock full of NFL guys who can physically overwhelm you, you're always in danger. Always. And then you put, like, you know, you the other sort of outside influences on this game with what's going on with Scott Frost, just sort of the uh, all of the emotion, all of the passion behind the Nebraska fan base. I, it's pretty easy to envision me. It's pretty pretty easy for me to envision this game getting away from them. Um, but you hope that that's not the case. You hope that OU can can put together a good you know defensive game plan, which I, of course they can. They should win this game. They they should be able to to put a lot of pressure on Casey Thompson, Nebraska's offense. But man, I you know. If OU doesn't play particularly well and Nebraska is able to present them, you know, some things that OU maybe hasn't seen on film or anything like that, then yeah, Nebraska is capable of completing these throws down the field. And that's scary to me. Yeah, no, I think it's a good point. You're right. I mean, a, a consistent, competent passing game uh, can keep you in a, a lot of college football games. And I mean, just like we haven't gone over the numbers yet, but I mean, Nebraska's offense is in the top 25 in the nation, 492 per game over 6.8 yards per play that's really good They're, the Huskers are pretty darn balanced over 200 yards rushing per game 288 through the air that's top 35 each in the nation and this offense has been explosive they've had 17 explosive plays that's over five a game 
that's fifth in the country. I know they played three games. They have the extra game, but I mean that that's still. I mean, over five per per game is is still really high in the nation. So this def, uh, this offense has been really explosive with Casey Thompson at the helm, and they're one and two. Uh, but this offense, this is what this is what can concern you if if you're an Oklahoma fan. This, they can move the football, and Oklahoma has not seen a consistent a consistent unit like this in the first two weeks in this new Brent Venable style defense. I will say you mentioned you know, Oklahoma needs to get after Casey Thompson. Uh, one thing that can make you feel pretty good about Oklahoma's chances to get after Thompson is that Nebraska's offensive line and also Casey Thompson, uh, they've been giving up some sacks. They're giving up more than 2.3 sacks per game. That's 90th in college football, seven total. And so, I mean, that's you know, over two a game. And Oklahoma has been really good at getting havoc. They, OU's been really good at getting sacks, getting tackles for loss. And uh, Nebraska's turned the football over five times, which is, is not very good in three, in three games. So turnovers have been a bit of a problem, and giving up sacks have been a problem. And Oklahoma is a team that can get after the quarterback. So those are a couple of data points that go in the Sooners' favor, Grant. Yeah, and so while I do think this is, you know, just to pretend that pretend that Scott Frost is still the head coach there. Uh, this is the best offense that Nebraska's had under Scott Frost. I, I think, it, by my eyes, that's pretty clear. Um, and we'll get to the defense. It's it's probably it's oh, it's certainly the worst defense he he's ever had though. Um, but well, you know, we'll we'll get there. But yeah, I, I think that's going to be something that I'm watching really early in this game. How what kind of push is that OU defensive line getting against the Nebraska offensive line? Nebraska at times really struggled to deal with Nebraska, or I'm sorry, with Northwestern up front. And uh, I'm, I, I don't think I'm, I'm being too unreasonable by saying I, I think OU's got a better defensive front than Northwestern does, uh, by by probably by a long shot. So we'll see. I mean, if yeah, if, if Casey Thompson is just is being harassed this entire game, he, he's not able to to have enough time to, for guys to get downfield so he can actually throw it down the field. Then yeah, I mean that's OU is probably going to roll in this game when you in the second half of the of the Red River Shootout last season. Casey Thompson was under constant pressure, and he wasn't good. In fact, he was bad. And so that's what I've seen. I mean, go watch the second half of that Northwestern game. He's under pretty consistent pressure in the entire second half of that game, and he wasn't good. He was bad. (laughs) So the guys he has around him are pretty good, I think. I mean, Trey Palmer's their top receiver. Uh, But I like Marcus Washington as well. He's their number two receiver. Both of those guys, I think, can pose a threat. Palmer more than the other. And... I like both of Nebraska's running backs, like the receivers. I mean, one of them is better than the other. Anthony Grant, he's their top guy. He's got five touchdowns so far. He's averaging over six yards per carry. I like him. I think he's explosive. And the other guy, A.J. Allen, he's averaging over six yards per carry as well. So this Nebraska team can run the football. And Oklahoma's been pretty good against the run through the first two games. But they're going to be certainly tested with a couple of guys who can tote the rock. And then obviously Casey Thompson, who he, you know, he's not running that much, but he can. Uh, he's not Colin Schlee out there. I don't think he's going to be able to, to make as many moves as, as Schlee did last week. But Casey Thompson's certainly capable with his legs, too. So uh, there's, a, you know, there's certain things that Oklahoma will have to be aware of defensively. Uh, another kind of mobile quarterback, not to mention some pretty good skill guys around Casey Thompson. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I don't know a ton about Marcus Washington. He's looked okay, you know, from what I've seen this year. He didn't do anything at Texas. He's a transfer from Texas. Uh, Trey Palmer, I thought, looked pretty good, especially in the Northwestern game. Anthony Grant had a pretty sick touchdown run against Northwestern as well, but hadn't really noticed him in any of the other games that I've watched, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, he just he just looks kind of just like a generic college running back. But um, yeah, I, you know, I 
it, it's going to be interesting to see for sure. It's just, you know, I how how's it going to work? Because, you know, this is a Nebraska offense through the first, first three games. Stats look pretty gaudy. They've moved the ball pretty consistently, pretty well. But, man, I mean, that was always the bit with Scott Frost, just horrible situationally, terrible situationally. <laughs> and that and that's that was obviously the case in the first three games, Lee. When they, I mean, when they needed to run the ball last week against Georgia Southern, they couldn't run the ball. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at. I mean, Grant. He did most of his damage in the North Dakota game, and he looked really good. I mean, that's North Dakota. Uh, but I mean, he was over. I mean, he was over eight yards of carry in that game. Twenty three attempts too. Jeez, that's that's a lot of carries to still average over eight yards per carry. But I mean, he's, he was over five and against Northwestern, over five against Georgia uh, Georgia Southern. Uh, he's certainly capable. So. Uh, that's the that's the Nebraska offense, and it certainly poses a threat to Oklahoma. I think I think I'm cashed on the the offensive uh, the Nebraska offense topics. Though, did you have anything else you want to hit on before we switch over to the defense? No, I don't think so. I, I think it's you know it's gonna be one of those games, man. If OU is able to get organic pressure or just any sort of pressure on Casey Thompson, that's gonna make their lives a lot easier. And so we'll we'll see how much that is in the game plan. And I wonder, do we start to see some exotic, some of the patented Brent Venables exotic blitzes in this game? Um, that's that's what I'm going to be looking out for. Yeah, that's actually kind of, it's kind of fun to think about because, I mean, you got this really high-powered offense, you know, so far through three games. Uh, they can throw the ball around and they can run it too. So, yeah, I mean, maybe Brent Venables and, and old Ted Roof, they'll get a little more creative this week. And, you know, that's that's one of the things that, got me so excited about Brent Venables when he was going through all of his, you know, after he got hired, everything he said was just, this dude just loves himself some some X's and O's, man, and just loves the idea of prepping for each each team. Each game is different, and I just, I love hearing that from a, from a coach, especially a defensive coach. And here's the thing, I mean, I think Lincoln Riley, I think offensively, I, I he was obviously, he had the, the guys prepared. I mean, you might have to throw out 2021. His his mind must had to have been somewhere else, as we all probably expect now. We know, you know, but I mean, before that, I mean, the, the offensive game plans have were always really darn good. It's just defensively, uh, I don't know. It's just Alex Grinch didn't ever seem to really adjust anything. Mike Stoops didn't really ever adjust anything. Uh, I I did hear, I'm kind of going off away from Nebraska real quick, but I did hear Petros Papadakis, who I mentioned before in this podcast. I heard his recent. Uh, uh, actually, I haven't heard his recent thoughts after the Stanford game, but at least after USC's first game, uh, Petros, a USC guy, went to USC, but he, he calls it like he sees it. USC doesn't like him because he'll criticize USC. But he made the comment that he, when he was watching USC's first game against Rice that their defense in the second half made a, adjustments to his eye, and the, the Rice offense couldn't do anything. So, I mean, it's Rice, so, I mean, whatever. Maybe it's easier to make adjustments against them. But uh, Alex Grinch making adjustments uh, – are you kidding me? Like, is he going to totally change the way he, he calls games now that he's not at Oklahoma and maybe be a better defensive coordinator? Uh, I mean, he I, made I mean, he made he made quote unquote adjustments at OU. It's just not like in game though. It's not it's 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 not the adjustments that we want to see, which is yeah. which is scheme trying to confuse the offense, um, trying to send people from different directions, actually defending certain routes, stuff like that, which is all stuff that we've seen in the first first two games for OU so far. Like that's. Uh, yeah, that's that was always my biggest frustration with Alex Grinch is that it never seemed like it always seemed like they were just trying to run their stuff and execute their stuff and not and not trying to tailor it per opponent. And that was just kind of yeah. that's kind of frustrating to me. Yeah, and that's I mean, I haven't watched USC that closely. Hopefully I get a chance this year to, to kind of watch more of them to see 
to see if their defense looks like OU's defense as far as up oh, looks like we're seeing a lot of cover two here some cover three a little bit of quarters and then a lot of man and that's about, about it like the offenses shouldn't have a whole lot of difficulty determining or guessing what Alex Grinch's defense is throwing at you uh, so I need to uh, I'm if I get some more time I'll, I'll try to watch the, more the USC the Stanford game it looks like I mean it looks like peak Alex Grinch de- I mean like extreme Alex Grinch defense a lot of tackles for loss a lot of chunk yards on the ground Ah, that's what he does yeah that's what he does well although i mean oh you against the run under grinch was actually pretty good they're pretty good but they would give up they'd give up long runs yeah and that would make their that would make their numbers not look as good i was like they were like 60th against the run last year they they weren't they were they were bad against the run in the like in the second half of the season last year all right, back to the OU Nebraska preview. Let's flip the script over to that. Oh, that Nebraska defense, which is atrocious. Horrible, it's, horrible, it's horrible, so horrible, horrible. Worst defense in Power Five, uh, at least statistically. And I mean, they're giving up 492 per game. Again, that's 124th in the college football. That's the worst in Power Five. Uh, giving up over 6.1 yards per play. Giving up over 200 yards rushing. Giving up 284 through the air. Nebraska's offense has 17 explosive plays. Well, Nebraska's defense has turned around and allowed 17 explosive plays. That's almost dead last in college football. And they can't get pressure. They only have two sacks in three games and only nine TFLs. I mean, OU has, has more than nine in, in one game. I mean, they're averaging double digits in the first two games. So like the one thing you can say about Nebraska's stats so far is that they've been okay getting turnovers they have four takeaways in three games like it's not a ton but I mean they're averaging technically over one per game so I mean they've been able to take the ball away kind of but outside of that this defense is really bad although I think to your point you're probably gonna bring mention something along these lines it's still it's Nebraska they recruit better than Kent State they recruit better than UTEP so talent wise they have to have better players on the field than the two defenses Oklahoma just saw right as I say, yeah, like uh, you know, effective wise, I mean, you, you you could probably make a pretty pretty reasonable argument that Nebraska's defense really isn't a whole hell of a lot better than the than the two that OU has played this this week. I know Georgia Southern would probably struggle to get 640 yards against Kent State or UTEP. That's a lot of yards. It's a ton. <laughs> and um, so we'll see. I don't know. I'm I'm not quite there yet. I'm going into this just assuming that Nebraska's defense is still quite a bit better than the first two that OU have played has played. The one thing that is going to be different, though, is OU's focus level. Though, you would hope, right? Uh, oh, you would yeah, hope they're that's going. A good point. Yeah, you would hope going into this game, they're thinking, okay, no, this is this is a Power Five team on the road. We got to take them a little more seriously than these first two defenses. Interesting, and I mean, I know that Brent Venables has preached every game. Uh, don't look ahead. Every opponent's like it's just your kind of your cliche football things, and but we're all human and. Even though the guys, I'm sure, were incredibly focused on UTEP, probably incredibly co- focused on Kent State. I mean, something, something will change, though, just intuitively when you go up against a team like Nebraska. Just You see the big N on the helmet, like the tradition on the road. I mean, it's just human nature. You're going to be a little, little bit more dialed in, right? That's, that's the hope. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, yeah mean, I hope this week. Yeah. I hope this week they're more dialed in. I hope there's more of a more of a uh, you know a legitimate game plan i hope they go out there with with an idea of how they want to attack nebraska and uh because i just I, I didn't really i guess you know against utep they wanted to come out and they wanted to take shots obviously when they were successful but against can say i couldn't tell you really what their offensive game plan was going into that game um 
And so I, I hope this one, it's just much more clear. I hope it's much more scripted. And like I said, I hope it's, you know, I hope it's all about trying to get Dylan Gabriel into a rhythm and forcing Nebraska to tackle Marvin Mims, Drake Stoops, Marcus Major in space. I, and obviously Eric Gray, get him in space. He's good. So Nebraska's defense, uh, watching the, I, I got a couple of examples from the Georgia Southern game of just, man, uh, these guys struggled. Uh, the Georgia Southern running back in the first half just went right through the A, a gap, like a little just split zone out of the shotgun. Uh, offensive line, tight ends, hat on a hat against the defensive line and the linebackers, and the dude goes 60-plus yards off to the races. Didn't score a touchdown, but they scored a touchdown a couple of plays later. Same guy later in the second quarter, and this was kind of uh, fun for me to, to watch, and it was pointed out a little bit on the broadcast, and we've talked about this before mainly whenever OU would play Iowa State and just kind of the doing the math problem with players in the box and how many players that you have around the line of scrimmage and so there was a simple situation where Georgia Southern was in a three by one set spreading everybody out they were in 10 personnel that's uh, one running back no uh, no tight end three receivers right yeah yeah okay sorry I had to think about that for a second and uh, it was a split safety look by Nebraska. You're going to see that a lot. They, they show two safeties deep, and you know maybe post-snap they'll move things around. But Nebraska's defense didn't seem to really change a whole lot. But the key to this play, though, is that there was only five Nebraska defenders in the box. So you got five offensive linemen. There you go. That's five on five. That's a pretty good math problem. All five offensive linemen, hat on a hat, blocked up the defensive linemen and the linebackers in the box. And so that set up a situation where it was the running back against the safety coming downhill to try to make a one-on-one -on -one open field tackle. And you like any running back's chances in that scenario. And the running back won and went for an easy explosive touchdown, 47 yards. And that was a situation where I saw Oklahoma, not, not Oklahoma, Georgia Southern, sorry, the offense for Georgia Southern. They were killing Nebraska in three-by-one sets, just spreading out Nebraska's defense and taking advantage of, you know, five guys in the box, six guys in the box. And whenever they would try to key more on the run, they would just swing it out to the outside and, and try to have their receivers make plays one-on-one. -on -one. And, I mean, that's something that Jeff Lebby can do with Oklahoma. And so that kind of gave me a lot of encouragement. And I'll be curious to see, you know, like we're always really excited to see if Oklahoma can see what we saw on film. And not that we're experts at the same level as these guys that are actually coaching football. But there are some things that I think we can see that are pretty, pretty clear that we'd like to be able, uh, we'd like to see Oklahoma try to exploit the other team. I'll be curious to see if Oklahoma can exploit Nebraska here, spreading it out three by one. You know, if there's a, that math problem in the box happens and they get five on five and Eric Gray or Marcus Major is one on one with the safety, boom, you love Oklahoma's chances. And I mean, Nebraska's defense, again, especially against Northwestern and especially against Georgia Southern, they couldn't tackle in the secondary, man. They had a tough time tackling. So uh, th there's a lot of yards, a lot of points to be had here by Oklahoma if they come out and execute. Yeah, and you know, you're right. Theoretically, that's a, that's a really good running situation for Oklahoma. They've had a lot of good situations to run the ball against UTEP and Kent State as well, and they weren't very good at it. And so I think that's something I'm going to be watching really, really closely. Can OU still run the ball when they're given a light box? Because they, the answer Man, to that question yeah, so, so far in the first two games against inferior competition has been, eh, not really. Not really, yeah. Not really. But also at the same, I mean, you know, 
especially in that Northwestern game, man. Because I mean, that's the one that I watched every single play live as it happened. Nebraska's safeties were so terrible in that game. I mean, just so bad against. I mean, tackling against the pass, letting people behind them. Oh, it was bad. Yeah, it wasn't good. It was not good. So yeah, Dylan Gabriel. I, I like what you said earlier. I, It'd be nice if it was kind of scripted for him. Get the ball out of his hand quickly. Get the ball to his playmakers. Marvin Mims, mainly. Get it to Gilo Farouk. Let, try to see if he can start to cook a little bit. Get it to Theo Weiss. He's been kind of up and down through the first couple of games. Drake Stoops as well. Throw him in there. I mean, get it out in the flat to Eric Gray. You know, hopefully it's not a very obvious, like, oh, they just go in, in motion pre-snap, and the defenders are like, oh, he's going in motion. They're probably going to give him the ball right here. And then they give him the ball, and the defender's like, oh, cool. Now I can rally up. And even if I don't make this tackle, I will have slowed the guy up enough to where all my other teammates and friends can come and make this gang tackle behind the line of scrimmage. Like maybe a little bit more creative ways to get the ball to the running backs out of the backfield. Because uh, I know that's in Levy's offense. They've, he's tried. I mean, he's tried to get the ball to Marcus Major, Eric Gray, kind of on swing passes and whatnot for the first couple of games. Haven't really, hasn't really been there yet, though. But against Nebraska, hopefully it is there. So that's kind of the, the thing is uh, to go back, kind of bring it all full circle as we kind of wrap up the defensive talk for Nebraska. Uh, Oklahoma's going to go as Dylan Gabriel does. If Dylan Gabriel plays well in this game, Oklahoma should win and they should cover the spread. Plain and simple. Honestly, if yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. But uh, I mean, it, it'd be nice if OU's offensive line was playing well because I mean, this is a game where your offensive line is 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 really humming and you got a good running back. This is a game where you can just go and you can just run it seventy five percent of the time and run them off the field, uh, which is what I you know, if you're good and you're better than the other team, it's just what you should do. Uh, but their mm-hmm. offensive line is just it's it's not it's not to that point yet. But I don't know, maybe maybe they can take a step in the right direction here to do that. But until that happens, you're right, man. It's it's the 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 offense is gonna go as Dylan Gabriel goes. And I just hope that Lebby puts him in puts him in advantageous situations because he, Jeff Lebby does not do Dylan Gabriel any favors when he has him sit back in the pocket and go through progressions. It's just it's not gonna work. Make it easier on him. It's- especially with the offensive line kind of feeling itself out right now and not being the best pass-blocking offensive line. Granted, there have been some instances where Dylan Gabriel has, has ejected the pocket too early. I mean, you pointed one of those plays out to me, I think, in the Kent State game that I, I didn't really catch at first, and I watched it back, and you were right. I mean, he, he, he ejected too early, whereas if he would have waited an extra tick, I think it was either Braden Willis or somebody over the middle came, came open that he would have seen. So, I mean, that's, it's also on Dylan Gabriel to – Stay within himself and stay within the play and trust his offensive line. And yeah, maybe that's maybe that's why I'm so cynical about Dylan Gabriel. And it's it's easy for me to maybe not put enough stock into the nice deep ball. I mean, like the the deep ball that he that he threw to Marvin Mims to make it seven to three. It's a great throw. It's a great throw. He put it right on the money. That's what you want to see. But it's like when I see a play like that, like the one that you just mentioned, that's the, that's the one where he got sacked for the first time in the game. Um, that was just such a horrible quarterback play. Like awful. It was awful every step of the way and it's hard for me to get it out of my mind and honestly i i really do think his size affects that i i he's he's not you know six four and i hanging around in the pocket that's got to be more difficult whenever you're about six foot tall and it's a little harder to see over and see down the field i i would bet that that's a big reason why he probably ejected from that a little early and that that's just the reality of you know his body type and I mean, that, so I, adjust. That's just kind of yeah, like, you, you have to adjust. Like that's 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 Jeff Levy. That's that's it's on Jeff Levy to put him in advantageous situations. Because 
don't know, man. We we heard all summer, right? You listen to BV talk about it, Levy talk about how great Gabriel has been, like how he's a pro, how he's, you know, how he's just he's he's done everything they've asked of him. And kind of in those first two games, Lee, it sounds like they sort of coaching staff sort of you know buying into their own press clippings a little bit with him. And and maybe maybe that's not warranted yet. All right, so this morning on the radio in Tulsa, Blitz 1170 AM, I, you know, Thursday mornings I always do a hit with Rick Corey. And he always, you know, before the games he always asks for a prediction because, you know, it's morning radio and, you know, that's, that, I'm supposed to know, right? You know, like I'm, I'm the OU expert and, you know, Rick wants to know who's going to win the game. And so, you know, whenever we recorded the podcast yesterday that, again, no one's ever going to hear, you know, we haven't really been doing predictions the first couple of games. But, you know, whenever I'm on the radio, I feel like, okay, I, I can't just say I'm not doing a prediction. So I begrudgingly and kind of hemmed and hawed and, and decided on my prediction was 31-17 OU wins. And I said, I don't feel good about that. I just, I don't, uh, but I mean that, I don't know. I mean, I really do think it comes down to Dylan Gabriel. It comes down to Gabriel. If Gabriel, if he plays the way he's played, I think the last two games, even though we've been critical, I think that'll be good enough to win, to be honest with you, because if he doesn't turn Oklahoma it over, should, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, to cover that number, I know, um, let's see, it's, it's at 11. Heck, I saw this morning, the number had gone all the way down to 10. And in my head, in my head I was thinking, man, if, if it gets under 10, I might have to start thinking about firing on OU. But uh, it's now since gone back up to 11. So there's been a little bit of buyback on the Sooners. So I don't know if this number is going to get below 10. Uh, but man, I mean, it, it opened up as, as high in some places, I think is 15 or 16. And now it's down to 11. So all the value on Nebraska is theoretically gone. Granted, if, if you still love Nebraska and you think the whole fired coach bounce back thing is going to be a going to happen, then I suppose you're still catching 11. Heck, take it. And you might think that's great. Um, but uh, anyways, I, I really do think it comes down to Dylan Gabriel. Uh, if you're thinking about, you know, as far as just having some fun, maybe throwing a wager down over 10 at this point. It just, again, it seems like all the value of Nebraska is gone because the number has gone so far down from, you know, 16 15 14 down to 11 but still like above 10 seems like too many to swallow for OU so I think this is lame but this is a this is a pass game for me I don't think I'd want to play this game yeah I, what are your I, thoughts I, every OU game's a pass game for me uh oh. <laughs> too close to the team can't look at it objectively um but no I mean I'm I'm this is a game that OU should win OU should win this game they're better than Nebraska they have better players than Nebraska they have a better coaching staff than Nebraska um, but I, I mean, I'm on, I'm on alert for this game. I'm on alert and I know there's a, you know, I, I know there's a group of people in the fan base who think OU is going to walk into Lincoln and it's just going to roll over Nebraska. And Hey, I mean, based off of what Nebraska has put out there so far, it's a reasonable take. I, I guess I just, I don't understand the, the certitude. I don't understand how you can be so sure about it. Um, especially, and I said this on yesterday's podcast that no one is ever going to hear, uh, since the year 2000, Lee, <laughs> since the year 2000, OU has lost a game every single season they had no business losing. It's happened 21 consecutive seasons. They've lost to worse teams in that stretch than the team that they're going to play on Saturday. And so... Grant, how many times has Brent Venables been the head coach of the OU team, though, during that time? Huh? Uh, he was on the coaching staff <laughs> for quite a bit of those, to be honest with you. Yep, he was. So, But, I mean, that doesn't have to mean anything. It doesn't have to. It's just, it, it happens all the time. And so, like, I, I just, 
I don't I don't understand the perspective of being so sure that OU is going to walk in there and just dominate them. In fact, we haven't even seen we haven't even seen an OU team that's really capable of doing that yet in the first two games. So, um, so I, I think I think OU is going to win, but I, I think it's going to be a bit of a butt clincher. I, I, I that's that's my prediction at this point in time. Um, and like it's not because I think Nebraska is good. It's not. It's because this game to me, when I look at it, I just have the intuitive feeling of danger. Danger Will Robinson on this one for sure. <laughs> so, and maybe, and I hope, I hope that I am wrong. I hope that the the fan, the part of the fan base that is really confident that OU is going to go in there and take care of business, I hope they are right, and I hope I'm totally out to lunch. Um, I was, I was listening to the uh, the Sooner Scoop podcast uh, for a little bit before we started recording today. They had an mm-hmm. interesting question that I wanted to get your your thoughts on it as well. Going to this, what would OU have to look like in this game? For you to be like, you know, at the end of the fourth quarter in the in the post game, you're just like, "Yep, that looks like a playoff team." What would they have to look like in this game? Well, number one, defensively, I said this on the radio. I mean, if if they're able to hold this Nebraska team to like 14 or 17 points, that'll be pretty salty, in my opinion. So, and like doing it in a way in which it looks good, not like Nebraska is just making all these mistakes and OU's getting lucky and. Uh, you know, just like the defense still, you know, they're playing kind of the way they've been playing the first two games, but then they look even more sharp and maybe they force, you know, some some more turnovers and, you know, against the best offense they've seen. So defensively, I think that would be a, a great start. And then offensively, basically coming away from the game with a totally different viewpoint on Dylan Gabriel, uh, thinking that, uh, oh, my gosh, like. I, don't, I mean, I, I guess in a way, though, this wouldn't really work because I just said earlier in the podcast, I don't think he's a guy that can put the team on his back and go win a game. And there's and been so worse quarterbacks that, who have started playoff games than Dylan Gabriel. True, true. See, but like, in order for me to you know, see some proof of Dylan Gabriel being a guy that can just put the team on his back, that would probably mean the defense was not playing very well, which would not, you know, not make me think that that's a playoff-type team. So, yeah, I mean, defensively, I think is the most important part if they can – really slow down a really good offense on the road. And then, yeah, I mean, I guess Dylan Gabriel and the offense being more consistent than they have been in the first two games and doing exactly what we think they should do against a bad Nebraska uh, defense. I'm not sure if that really answers the question to, to what maybe listeners will want, but, you know, that's, that's a good question, though. I think that's a, that's a fun topic. What do you think? Oh, I mean, if, if you want me to say after the game, like, yeah, it looks like a playoff team. They've got to they gotta show up and beat the piss out of Nebraska. Just completely. So basically, oh, how about this? To your kind of to your point, you just made me think of this by what you just said. Basically, uh, if they show up and do to Nebraska what a Clemson team in its heyday would have done to this Nebraska team on the road, probably right. Just yeah, exactly. Like, and so, strang- like strangled the offense, strangled it out. You know, maybe maybe give up a touchdown, maybe maybe two, like one in garbage time, and then offensively they would just take advantage of a really bad defense and probably put up forty. So yeah, I mean, like I, I'm I'm watching I'm watching for OU's defensive line. Can they physically overwhelm Nebraska? If so, then like that's a really good sign. And also Marvin Mims. If Marvin Mims is out there and he is a problem, and Nebraska just can't do anything about him. Which I think, if they if they make a concerted effort to get him the ball, that will be the case. That's what I want to see. All right. Okay, let's go to the West of Evers Facebook page. We actually didn't have time to do this on the aforementioned "Never Never Will Be Heard" podcast, which I'm sure everyone's annoyed with us bringing that up every time now in this in this episode. 
So uh, Harry, I'll, I'll just say, Harry, um, I think we answered your question talking about OU in Texas and the Georgia series and all that stuff. So I think we covered that at the start of the start of the podcast. So I'll go over to Brett. Brett says, should the OU Nebraska rivalry become a recurring rivalry? Oklahoma is losing Bedlam for the foreseeable future, and Nebraska could be a good one to do every year, especially if Nebraska can find a good coach and get good again. This could be a good resume builder for the Sooners every single year. I mean, certainly, uh, I I think Bedlam's going to come back. I mean, I don't think it's going to be gone forever. So, I mean, having having you know OSU and Nebraska on the schedule kind of like consistently – that seems like it'd be pretty tough to do, but you know, if they expand the playoff and you know, they make more and more teams and you don't get knocked as much for losing games in the regular season, I think you're going to see more, more chances that these rivalries will come back because you're not going to get dinged for losing games as much. And uh, that's, I think a, one of the big benefits to making the playoff more accessible, having more teams, because then we'll get more fun matchups during the regular season that uh, people that love the college football regular season and don't want a bigger playoff don't seem to ever think about. I don't know why. I mean, like, I guess they don't want to see more of these. I mean, they do, but they, they'll, they'll see them in diff- different circumstances. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, we're not, we're not, you know, in our fifties and sixties and stuff. And like, we don't really know what it was like in the, you know, the true golden age of OU Nebraska football. Uh, but I mean, we do remember what it was like in the, you know, the two thousands and stuff when they were still playing relatively decent amount. And I mean, those are those are some fun games. We got some good memories of those games. So sure, I mean, if they play Nebraska a lot more, that'd be great. Uh, recurring rivalry, though, I, I don't know if it's possible. Um, it's possible. You just gotta have the will to do it. Um, I, I just I, I don't know if it's just gonna be tough with going to the SEC. I, I don't know. I mean, and, and, unless OU turns into a, to a save in Alabama like dominant power. I just don't know how how wise it is to. And OU, they're probably gonna be playing nine SEC games. I just don't know how wise it is to to play a to play a power five team every single year um, in the non-conference, especially if you're going to get Bedlam going again. In a perfect world, Brett's, yes, yes, it should be a recurring rivalry. They should play every Saturday after Thanksgiving like they used to. Um, there's precedent for that in the SEC. Clemson plays South Carolina every year the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Georgia plays Georgia Tech every single year the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Uh, no reason in my mind why that couldn't continue. It, it obviously could continue. Um you gotta, it, there, there's got to be a will to do it. There's got to be a want to do it. I don't know if that exists right now. It probably does amongst kind of like the more old timey fans. And I, you know, I, you know, I, I didn't really pay attention to OU football, you know, pre 1999. But I, I can, I, you know, I, I kind of consider myself sort of an old soul in that regard. I like the tradition of the game. I think that's what makes it special. So yes, I, I, I want this game played every year. I want Oklahoma State played every year too. I just, I reality of the situation. I don't know if it'll happen. But yes, I, I would like that to be a thing in a perfect world. Good stuff. I have one more bit uh, from the West of Evers Facebook page. This is from Travis. Travis, thank you for leaving a, a question and a comment. Your question was about uh, the whole Georgia SMU and, and the same thing that Harry asked about. So we talked about that, that earlier. Uh, Travis's comment, though, is about the offensive line. He says the offensive line hopefully has a great week. Or they have the potential to be exposed. The left guard specifically has had two straight weeks of being below average at best. That's McCade Matower. The film don't lie. And if I was Nebraska, I'd scheme to expose it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I think uh, Matower, I, I, I mean, again, I'm not an expert on the offensive line. I haven't studied it through the first two games. But I don't think he's gotten very good marks so far. 
And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, him, uh, him, Raymond and Guyton have all been just kind of meh. Not good, not great. All right, over to the Big Twelve. Uh, so we got Texas State at Baylor. Baylor's laying thirty. I don't. Know. I mean, so I'll say this. I mean, we'll we'll talk about. I, I just want to bring up Ohio playing at Iowa State. So I finally, finally said I'm not going to fall for it. I'm not going to fall for it. I'm not going to pick Iowa State. I'm not going to take the points with Iowa State against Iowa. Every single year, I think Iowa State's going to figure it out. And every single year, Iowa State can't figure out Iowa, and Iowa State loses. So the one time I finally flip it, Iowa and is just Iowa State wins, and Iowa it just sets football back a hundred years, man. I that team, that program, just even though they somehow win like eight or nine games a season, it's I don't know how they do it. I don't know how the heck they do. They ever practice offense? I don't get it. It makes it makes me it's. Just I, I know, so I, mad. I understand what you're saying. They do it because they've they have a they have a reputation for for getting in you know low level recruits and developing them, especially offensive linemen, and developing them into NFL players. That's why because they can run the eye formation and they have NFL guys to bully you around. And on the defensive side of the ball, they've they've been churning out top ten defenses for over a decade now. Um, it's not it just where Iowa is right now. And I mean, this is going to sound hyperbolic. But now, I mean, we got two straight games. They might have the worst offense in the entire the entirety of the FBS. Oh, I mean, might I mean they they have to have the worst. No, I, mean, I, I, I watched I, I watched uh, New Mexico State against Minnesota. Oh yeah. So okay. let's let's not go too crazy there. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if Iowa had you know had had Kent State's offense or had UTEP's offense, they'd be two and zero right now. They probably would have beaten Iowa State by double digits. Well, here's the thing, Grant. <laughs> Statistically, Iowa by far has the worst offense in college football, in all of college football. Uh, they're, <laughs> oh my God, they are dead last. That's, I mean, New Mexico State's played three games. Uh, Iowa's only played two. I mean, New, this is this is crazy. So, I mean, I, New Mexico State offensively, they're they're you know they're right above Iowa. 230 total yards on average. There is a steep, steep drop-off between New Mexico State and Iowa. Iowa is averaging through two games, Grant. 158 yards of offense. Oh, my goodness. That is... uh, It's horrible. It's It's awful. It's awful. And the funny thing is, is that, I mean, Iowa State still screwed around and almost lost that game. Ugh. As if I, as like, Iowa State goes three and out in their very first possession, and, and Iowa blocks the punt, and they score two plays later. And I don't think <laughs> Iowa got across midfield the rest of the game. My goodness gracious! There, it's it's well, bad. I mean, there's. Did you see the? Um, did you see that the the cameo thing where somebody somebody tricked Bob Stoops and Fran McCaffrey into to filming a cameo and sending it to Brian Ferentz? Did you see that? Did they really trick him though? Because I watched Bob Stoops do it, and I mean, he seemed like he was kind of hamming it up. I yes, mean, am I, it, am I totally it is a trick. You, it? They don't, you don't know who it's going to when it's cameo. They just all he knew is that some dude named Brian. It's all he knew. Oh, okay, okay. That makes sense. Okay, good, good, good. Well, good. That's well done. Whoever did that. Uh, but you know what you, what you said earlier about Iowa. You're right. You're 100 percent right. It's. They have to do that. This is the way they have to play. This is how they're able to be successful because they have their program. Kirk Ferentz has been there forever. And, I mean, 
I was able to figure it out. I was able to win for the most part. I mean, if Iowa can do it, in theory, shouldn't Nebraska be able to do something like this? But Nebraska hasn't been able to figure it out. You know? Yeah, it's I mean, that's kind of the, the same region. But yeah. it's it's tough. I mean, you got you got the Big Ten West. You got I mean, Iowa and Wisconsin are are kind of the two dominant programs in that in that division over the last decade, and they they win very similarly and in, in a lot of the same ways where they're having to identify talent. You know, corn fret. You know, corn fed Midwestern talent that's underdeveloped. And they got to get them in the weight room for two or three years, and they develop them. So that's that's how they do it. Why can't Nebraska do that? Because, man, I, they they went away from their system that was doing that when they went away from the triple option, and they haven't been able to recover right. since then. Nebraska or you know Wisconsin and Iowa have been doing this for twenty five years, twenty five thirty years. Other Big Twelve notes. Uh, I mean, K State. Credit to K State. They uh, they wallop Missouri, and you know they were they were like a touchdown favorite and. It was no big deal. Another and, game, another game though, where the the stats really they they didn't really overwhelm Missouri though. Go look at it. Missouri turned it over on four consecutive possessions. Kansas State still really struggled to move the ball. Yeah, I, uh, the guy I work with, Steve McGee, if if you all watch News Nine in Oklahoma City, he covers the Thunder. Great guy. He's a big big K State guy. He went to K State, so he'll he'll kind of give me the the inside info on K-State, at least what he's heard. And I mean, he watched the game and he was back and he said, yeah, I don't think, I don't think K-State played all that well in the game. And I mean, they still won the game by multiple touchdowns. And yeah, so, I mean, you want to, if you say that, yeah, yeah, if you say you don't, they didn't play well and they won by four touchdowns. I mean, that's, that's a good thing for them. It's just, they didn't, it, well, and, and the bit of the game I watched, it, Missouri looks terrible. They just look bad. Man, I got Eli Drinkowitz, hot seat, <laughs> man, yikes. Let's see. I mean, credit to Kansas. Kansas is two and zero. Kansas is two and zero. They got they got they got a Big Twelve win. They didn't I say? Didn't I? I, I didn't have the heart to pick Kansas last week because I was really wedded to the them going zero and nine in the Big Twelve. But I, I put that as a as a huge upset alert for West Virginia. You did, you did. I mean, it's only a matter of time now for Neil Brown, right? Jeez. Yeah. So if you go look at, yeah, I, I, I like the SP plus stuff. You go look at it, and Kansas's offense stacks up really, really nicely in that in the first two games of the season. Their defense is still terrible. Still really bad, but um, <laughs> it looks like it looks like Kansas might be slightly competent on the offensive side of the ball this year. Well, in that case, it's a good thing that uh, Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch are gone because you know no matter what, you know they're gonna not take Kansas seriously, and and maybe this year if they were still here, Kansas would actually beat OU, and it would it would just be a heck, you know, Kansas still could beat OU. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take anything for granted. Brent Venables has coached two games. Nebraska's up next. No looking ahead here. No looking ahead on the West of Everest podcast. No, no, no. Uh-uh. I got my eye on you, Kansas, but not right now. All right. Let's see. We're going to save Texas Tech, NC State for the picks. Uh, lastly, might as well talk about Texas. They got uh, UTSA. Pretty interesting matchup. UTSA is not a bad football team. Wait, hold on uh, a second. Texas. Sorry. Does, does Kansas play Houston this week? Yes. Oh, that's super interesting. Kansas is, yes, they're at Houston. Yep. Uh, yeah, who, man. Who Kansas just get played nine tech, points. Right? Nine points, and they just beat a team that's better than Houston. I, that's a, I'd, 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 I'd almost take Kansas straight up at that number. Wow. I mean, maybe, maybe you will. Maybe you should. So, yeah, okay. So, Texas, Texas almost beats Nebraska, uh, Nebraska. Texas almost beats Alabama. We were both dead wrong about that pick. Uh, we both thought that they, that was like stealing money. And Texas shows up and plays really, really well. Quinn Ewers looked really good until he got injured. The Texas defense was really impressive. I, I got to hand it to the Longhorns. They, they should have won that football game. Uh, uh, Alabama 
so many penalties. I, it's just not technically sound in the secondary. Uh, I, by the end of that game, I wanted Texas to win. I, I, I think college football is more fun. Yeah, you knock Alabama, you get them with a loss, and like there's more of a chance that the you know the end of the year the will be a little different. No Alabama around. I'm always a big fan of that. But uh, unfortunately, Alabama gets out of there, Grant. And uh, you mentioned in our podcast that will never air that the reason Alabama won that game is because they have the Heisman winner. Bryce Young won that game for them. When it you know when it came to nut cutting time, it was Bryce Young. He won that game for them. He made the play of the game, and uh, I mean that's kind of what it came down to. So. I'm I'm in the same you know I I've said on this podcast that Alabama minus twenty was stealing money. I thought it was one of the easiest picks. Obviously, totally wrong about that. Tex I I did not did not envision Texas looking that good at all at all. That's a shock. That was a shock to me, especially their defense. Um, I think you should I think you should tip your cap, give Texas credit for for being in that game, and they still lost. By the way, I, I just want everybody to they still lost the game. Um. I, I think it's reasonable on my side, based off the last, you know, 10 plus years, to still pump the brakes on Texas. And my reasoning there is they went shot for shot against the best college football team I have ever seen. And then the rest of the season, they were still just Texas. Three weeks later, I saw them be, be absolutely physically manhandled by a Lincoln Riley Oklahoma team. So, and of course, I, you you're, know, referencing, you're referencing 2019. When 2019, they LSU. yes. So I, you know, I'm. I, I think it's. I think it's utterly logical to still be to still say uh, Texas played really well in that game against Alabama, but we should probably still pump the brakes, see how it goes the rest of the season. Alabama kind of needed needed to like needed some things to go their way last season to beat a bad Florida team on the road too. I, I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit. UTSA can score. I mean, so I don't know. I mean, like it's. I kind of wish they were catching more than 12 and a half. Like if it was, if it was two touchdowns, like 14, I'd be like, Oh, lock me in plus 14 UTSA potential let down type spot for Texas off the, you know, big uh, Alabama game. But even at 12 and a half, 12 and a half tells you that Vegas isn't, isn't sold on Texas. They're playing UTSA at home. They're only, they're not even a two touchdown favorite. Kind of makes me wonder if there was a, if there was a look ahead line to that game, you know, like if, if uh, you know, I don't know. There was a diff- like what, what what the number was two weeks ago. If that even existed, I don't know. I guess what if what if what if it's possible that the reason that game was so close, it, it says more about Alabama than it does Texas. There's people. I mean, if, if, if you wanted to listen, there was people who said going into the season that Alabama's nowhere near as good on the offensive line or at receiver than they've been in the past, and that seemed very just very evident in, in their game against Texas last Saturday. That'd be something, wouldn't it? If uh, if Alabama ends up being a bit vulnerable or more vulnerable than they nor- you know that more vulnerable relative to like an Alabama team, like an elite Alabama team, I guess that would be pretty interesting. Way too early to make declarative statements, but I mean, if the season ended after two weeks, I don't, I, I there's no rational reason Georgia should not be the number one team in the country right now. They are, oh, yeah. they are so cl- like even what we just saw from Texas. I mean, compare that to what we saw with, with Georgia against Oregon. Georgia's on a totally different level than everyone right now. Ohio State kind of struggled with Arkansas State in the first half last week, too, especially on offense. So, I, I, Georgia yeah, is Georgia, clearly man. the class of the country right now. Good for Georgia. Man, I, it pains me to say that, but good for them. Good for them. Like, so far, not any sort of national title hangover. Um, okay, let's go to our picks. And so, last week, you were 2-3. and three, I was 4-1. and one. But uh, overall, 
so far through two weeks, we're both pretty good. We're both seven and three. So uh, nice 70 percent against the spread here on the podcast. And we got five more games plus a bonus game that we may or may not pick. But uh, uh, this week, it's it's more of me just kind of betting a number. I didn't do a whole lot of research on this. So take that for what it's worth. I'm not making any excuses. I don't I don't expect anybody out there to listen and actually like go to I suppose a lot of states now do have legal sports betting. So I guess in theory, a lot of people could listen to this podcast in different states and think, ah, those guys have been good so far in the podcast. Let's just kind of make their plays. But anyways, I just want to let you guys know, not a lot of research went into this. I'm kind of just looking at the number and kind of what I know about these teams. And so we'll start with number 12 BYU at number 25, Oregon. Oregon at home is laying three and a half, at least the number that I, I last picked. Actually, you know, let me let me go to ESPN.com. I use the numbers on ESPN and see if the number has changed. Nope. Okay. We're still at three and a half. So uh, I know we, we picked these games yesterday in our podcast that will never air. That uh, is now a really lame recurring joke on this current podcast. But uh, I will take Oregon mainly because of BYU coming off uh, kind of a, a, you know, a tough game at home against Baylor. Uh, they got the win over Baylor. Tough opponent in theory. Now they're going on the road to Oregon, who's already been embarrassed once this year by Georgia. Oregon just slapped around some no-name team. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of the hook. I kind of wish it was just Oregon minus three. I don't like that hook. But just because of the number and uh, the way Oregon, I, I just I have a difficult time imagining you know, Oregon, their attention was got in that first game. And uh, you know BYU, uh, coming again, coming off a, a win at home over a tough team. Now they got to go play a pretty good Oregon team. I'll just, you know, I don't feel strongly about it, but I will take the Ducks minus three and a half. I'm on the Ducks too. Uh, reasoning here is mostly just BYU having to be on the road after a, after a, a, an emotional win last week against Baylor. Um, big big part of this game that I you know I didn't take into account yesterday when we were picking. I, it's really would be valuable to know if BYU's two 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 receivers are back in this game. I don't know. I don't know how serious their injuries were, but that was kind of one of the things. I didn't even know that BYU was without their top two receivers going to the game last week when we picked it. Um, if I would have known that, I probably would have gone with Baylor. Um, I think that came out after our podcast, though. So I don't know if we would have had that information anyways. So, I, I mean, this is, I, you know, BYU, Jaron Hall, I think, is really good. Jaron Hall, I think, is probably one of the 10 best quarterbacks in college football. Um, you know, I, if he had his top two receivers, it'd be a lot easier for me to pick BYU in this game. But I, Oregon's going to have a better roster. I think they have the best roster in the Pac-12. You know, 46-point loss to Georgia notwithstanding. Uh, that's that. That's my hook on uh, on Oregon. All right, next one, number twenty-two, Penn State is laying three points on the road at Auburn, and so my handicap for this one is is pretty uh, pretty simple, but also it could just be a really bad handicap. But I I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it and pick Auburn because I can't even fathom laying points, swallowing points on the road in SEC country with Sean Clifford as the quarterback. Nope, don't want to do it. So give me Auburn plus the points, even though I know Auburn clearly based on this this number, uh, Auburn's not supposed to be all that great this year. I'm actually late. I'm I'm going to change my pick in this one. Um, I'm I'm gonna I was on Auburn too yesterday. When we did. It. I'm going to go to Penn State here. Uh, my reasoning here is that I, this is a total feel. Lee Brian Harson is the head coach over at Auburn. That hasn't. I mean, you following the news or anything like that, or his his tenure there over the last couple of years hasn't been particularly smooth. It's just really easy for me, narratively speaking, to to see this game, to see maybe Penn State coming out and knocking Auburn around a little bit, and that being maybe sort of the final straw for Brian Harson. 
because Auburn's been Auburn has been looking for any sort of reason to get rid of that guy. Yeah. And um, you talk about Sean Clifford. I I kind of I share your opinions on Sean Clifford, but I know hey, they Penn State has this other guy. Their backup quarterback his name is Drew Aller, and there's a lot of people you know Penn State. A lot of people who watch who think he's a stud, and that and that he may take Sean Clifford's job. So does it happen this week? I don't know. But if he's bad, maybe Drew Aller comes in and, and is a lot better for Penn State. So just just a, just some food for thought on your on your Sean Clifford take. No, I, I mean, I, I appreciate your handicap there. And that, that's not a bad handicap at all. I, I, I've heard the, the same things surrounding Brian Harson. I think that's a, that's a decent way to go. And, and I'm looking at the number. It's not like Auburn's got a quarterback that can throw the ball around anyways either. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, that could be a bad pick by me, but I'm not going to change it. I'll stick with Auburn but really, and move on to the next A one. tough game. It's a tough game. I mean, the, the, you know, Penn State being, cover, or, uh, being favored by three there. I think that game is probably going to look like a Big Ten game circa, you know, 2006. <laughs> All right, next one up. Pretty interesting matchup here. Texas Tech is at number 16, NC State. NC State's laying 10, but uh, my handicap here is I think there's been good reviews so far with Joey McGuire and Lubbock. Tech just came off a, a crazy win. I think it was an overtime win over Houston, right? Uh, but, I mean, double digits, I know they're on the road. I – I I wanted to take those points. I I don't know if uh, I I don't know much about NC State. I know people are pretty high on them this season, uh, but I also know people that I, I trust their opinions that are like ah, I'm not sure why NC State's getting so much love, and I'm kind of in that camp as well. So I'll take Tech plus the ten points. What say you, Grant? Um, yeah, I'm I'm going with Tech as well. That's just because I I just I just I'm just not a believer in NC State. The reason why a lot of people are high on them is because they had a top 10 defense in college football last season. They returned all 11 starters from that defense and and also their best player on defense from 2020 who was out all year in 2021. Um, but they've just been kind of meh so far this year. Um, I was never a believer in Devin Leary. He was always a guy who was kind of, uh, he, he just, he kind of seemed like a guy who just had a lot of empty stats whenever I watched him. Didn't really seem that talented to me. No, a lot of people like him as an NFL guy. I'm I'm not in that. In that, I think NC State's probably going to win this game. I just think ten points is too much. I think these two teams are probably pretty even in quality. All right, next up. And if it if, if it means anything to you, and, and I did, I was looking at this. SP Plus has NC State winning this game by eight. So SP Plus would tell you to take Texas Tech, but I, you know I just I, I think that I think the trajectory of Texas Tech is is a little better than NC State's right now. And Texas Tech, I mean, I'm not sure how good Houston is, but, I mean, they at least played them. And, I mean, they're probably an okay team, whereas, I mean, East Carolina in week one for NC State, close game, almost lost. And then, you know, a, a tomato can last week. Maybe Texas Tech and is slightly a little bit more battle-tested, but granted, I know this game is on the road for the Red Raiders. So we'll see. All right, this next game might be my most, uh, like, my favorite game of the week. And it could end up being my most hated game of the week, depending on how it goes. But number 11, Michigan State, is at Washington. Kind of a fun matchup. Uh, you know, Big Ten, Pac-12. Washington, though, unranked, minus three and a half. Three and a half point favorites. And so my handicap on this one is simple. Not a big Mel Tucker guy. Don't think he's that good of a coach. I think last year was lightning in a bottle for Michigan State. I, I don't, I still think it's crazy that they were as successful as they were last season. Uh, Washington, I know, has a really highly respected new head coach that 
I continuously forget his name, and you know his name, and I don't, and I feel dumb Kalen for not DeBoer. remembering it. Really easy, really <laughs> easy name to remember. I, I don't know how you can't remember that one. How is that an easy name? Because it's how many really people do you unique? know that name, Kalen. How many people have you ever met named Kalen DeBoer? You know what's an easy name to remember? Mel Tucker. Mel and Tucker. That's pretty easy. But okay, I get your point. Anyways, I'll swallow the points. Washington minus three and a half, mainly just because I I, I want to pick against Mel Tucker because I think Michigan State they're frauds. What do you think? Uh, I specifically remember going the opposite direction on this one just to be different, and I I I think you are emotionally compromised in this pick. So I'm going to go the other direction. Yeah, so what if I am? So what if I am? Maybe I am. I don't care. But also, I, I, know I think, you know, on, on a neutral field, I think, I think it wouldn't surprise me if Washington is just better than Michigan State. Uh, but week three, we don't know yet. So let's, let's find out. Let me see if this line has moved. Oh, uh, number, uh, some money has been coming in on Michigan State, not surprisingly. Uh, it's down to three. So you know what? ESPN.com has it at three. We're changing it to Washington, so you're only gonna get you only get three points here, Grant. Unless you locked in your pick yesterday, which I guess technically you, you mean did, you but. get three points. You or no, I get three. No, never mind. Yeah, yeah. No, like the, the line moved in my favor, which means that people are not surprisingly money's coming in on the ranked opponent catching points on the road. You know, it's this could be a pros versus Joe's game. You know, some people like say like a lot of a lot of the regular people that aren't sports betters are going to be all over the ranked opponent getting points, whereas. Maybe some pros are like, you know what? I, I like Washington, but we'll see. And actually, you know, this next game might be the best but also worst game of the week just because of the, the two coaches involved that uh, are consistently kind of panned on this podcast. Number 13, Miami, at number 24, Texas A&M. Texas A&M is a five-and-a-half-point home favorite. And, uh, you know, you, you and I, I mean, we're both not big fans of Mario Cristobal. And I, I like Jimbo Fisher, but... You got to criticize the guy. He, his his offenses are continu- continuously, consistently not all great. Like aside from Jameis Winston, he can't develop a quarterback. And A and M's offense was brutal last week. Uh, all that being said, though, they just lost the game to App State. They're at home again. It's less than a touchdown. It's a weird weird number. Five and a half is a weird number. Uh, I'll swallow the points with A and M just mainly because they just they're coming off a loss, and I don't I don't really like. Uh, I'm not a big Mario Cristobal guy, but heck, maybe maybe he'll prove himself here. Maybe they'll come out. Maybe Miami will go into College Station and and give A and M their second loss of the season. But I will go with Texas A and M. This is a you got you got a you got a program Miami as a head coach who is kind of a smoke and mirrors head coach has has a much better rep uh, you know reputation than I think uh, results on the field warrant against a program that gets way better players than the results of the field warrant. Um, it's kind of an interesting, it's kind of an interesting dynamic there. And so I'm on A&M here too, because I think like, I think obviously what Jimbo Fisher is doing with his offense and everything is, is bad. And he's, he's stubborn and he's rigid and he's just, he's, he's not, he's not going to change guys. He's just not going to change. Um, and he, he's going to be living off of Jameis Winston being awesome in his offense for probably his entire career. But I, you know, I'll take A&M here because they, they just, they probably have better players than Miami. A&M still played def- uh, defense really well against App-, against App State. I still think this is a really good Texas A&M defense. Going against a Mario Cristobal team, that I'm just, Mario Cristobal's offenses at Oregon were terrible. I, they were unimaginative. They did not take advantage of their, uh, of, of their talent. And I, I just, I, I'm assuming that same thing will happen at Miami. So I'll defend Cristobal. 
And I'll say this, but you might have a pretty good rebuttal to this. We'll see. I, I have something in mind. I'll, I'll be curious if you go that direction. Cristobal was the head coach of Oregon last season going into the shoe and knocking around Ohio State. That was a big win. So got to give him credit for that. And now of course, he's you can absolutely give him credit for it. But then after that, what? They, they still lost three more games the rest of the year after that. So uh, what I thought maybe you would bring up is because uh, something that you've mentioned on this show before is the whole culture around Ohio State with the defense and whatnot. And obviously, Cristobal has more of like an offensive line type power type background. And they just they pushed Ohio State around, whereas I'm not so sure that like a Cristobal Miami team, can they come in and, and like push around an A&M team? Because like A&M has been pretty good on defense. No, because and, and A&M is they, that's how they've buttered their all the success they've had in the Jimbo Fisher era is because their defense has been has been really competent. So I know this is this is one to me where I like I envision A and M winning this game like twenty one to ten or something like that, and Tyler Van Dyke just not not being very good because he's probably not going to be put in very good positions to succeed. But also, I mean, Haynes King probably isn't either. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right, we do have one bonus game that. Uh, do you want to pick this or just just talk about no, it? No, no. Uh, I mean, it's it's an interesting game. It is. I'm going to be paying we'll attention to it. it, but I, you know, we don't need to pick it. I like doing. I, I like keeping it at five. It makes it easy to keep track of our record and whatnot. So the bonus game, uh, interesting matchup. Fresno State's at number seven USC. USC is laying twelve. USC coming off a blowout win over Stanford. Got to give credit to Lincoln Riley. Uh, their offense is awesome right now. I mean, they're blowing people out two straight games. They've they've covered the spread easily, and uh, yeah, I mean the defense has been incredibly lucky they've forced a lot of turnovers which in year one of Alex Grinch in Oklahoma turnovers were hard to come by uh everything seems to be kind of clicking right now and I mean they're in a worse conference in theory so if you're a USC fan I am ecstatic right now ecstatic but you know we'll see if the Alex Grinch defense they come back down to the mean because there's no way that this this turnover luck can continue right I mean they're the three pick sixes in week one, they were turning over the Stanford quarterback like in the red zone, I think, multiple times. Again, it's like, okay, at, at some point, this can't be something that lasts through the entirety of the season. But the offense, though, the offense might be able to last a full year because Caleb Williams is really, really good, and they got some good skill players. And I'm going to go ahead and guess that, you know, as much as we were kind of dogging on the offensive line and like maybe there's not any guys up front. I bet they're, I, I'm not an expert, but I, something tells me their offensive line is probably a lot better than maybe we thought it was going to be. Yeah. You know, I, I go watch the stand or at least the first half of the Stanford game last week. I, you'd be forgiven for thinking that's the best offense in college football. They definitely, and I, I'm going to say this now, Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in college football and Jordan Addison is the best wide receiver in college football and USC has both of them. And that's, I mean, that that's going to make them, really formidable and Travis Dye is really good as well um I did you know in the second half of that game Caleb Williams was under pressure he got sacked three times and really I mean their their offense they sat on the ball it was it was it was patented Lincoln Riley in the second half of that game so uh I don't I don't know if he's changed a whole lot and Lee go look at uh you know SP plus I sent you there the advanced box score for that game SP plus did not did not really like USC's performance in that game especially on defense yeah, mainly defense, right? It, yeah, they're they're. Just, I mean, it wouldn't surprise. I, I they're they're gonna be they're gonna be right up there for being the number one offense in SP plus this year. Um, defensively, they're they're bad. I mean, they're the you know the the stats behind the stats. You go look at the advanced, but their defense is bad. I mean, they're completely living off of turnover luck. 
So Fresno State's an interesting team. I mean, they're, they're one and one, but uh, you know, they they lost a close one to Oregon State, who USC has coming up here kind of soon. Oregon State's not a bad football team. Um, they beat I think uh, they beat Cal Poly uh, in in week one or whatever. Who's you know whatever team, but uh, yeah, we'll see what Fresno's got. I don't know. I mean, I'm not so I don't know anything about the Bulldogs, but uh, I don't, we'll see. Like twelve points, like right now, it's kind of crazy to bet against USC. Like I I don't I don't want to touch this game, but. Uh, Pretty sure I mean, Fresno I, beat multiple Pac-12 teams last year. Ones like pretty decent ones, um, and they have a they have a quarterback who is in his third year of starting, and he competently completes forward passes. So I mean, <laughs> well, that's, that's so it's that's danger for USC. They played Oregon. Uh, they played Oregon at Autzen Stadium, pretty close last year. Only lost by a touchdown. They uh, they uh, this is Fresno State I'm talking about. Knocked off UCLA at the Rose Bowl. 40 to 37. I, I, I thought they was, beat Oregon. So ranked. I think they only beat UCLA then. Knocked on. Yeah, they, they beat uh, they beat San Diego State. Looks like the worst game they had all year. They got they got pantsed by Boise State at home <laughs> in early November. Yikes. Uh, but yeah, OK, yeah. The Hayner is it Hayner, their quarterback. Yeah, I've heard of him. Jake, yeah. OK, fun. Interesting. Yeah, USC's all got right. an interest. They got a really interesting stretch coming up here. They have. I think they they play they play a losable game three or four straight weeks. Well, uh, I have that ticket under nine and a half, and uh, I'm yeah you know, I still feel about the same. Not surprised they won the first two, but uh, yeah we'll see. Uh, also, real quick, you mentioned Caleb Williams, so I I, I you know I had a friend you know maybe uh, I, I gave a you know maybe some advice like hey maybe take take this maybe throw this down anyways. Uh, I may have uh, put a little bit of money on Caleb Williams to win the Heisman Trophy. And he's not the favorite, which is not surprising because USC is not expected to make, you know, to win the national championship. But at plus 450, you and I both think he's the best quarterback in college football. His stats at the end of the season could be insane. Even if USC, you know, drops a, a few games, like who's to say, what if, uh, you know, what if things go south for like CJ Stroud or Bryce Young? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that's a bad bet. I think it's not a bad one to have in the back pocket. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a good. I, I think it is for sure. Uh, right now, my my bet would be Stetson Bennett, but um, oh yeah, that's. A, yeah, I, I think that's he's probably, another. I, I don't know what the odds are though, but if I had to pick a guy who I think is going to win it in December, right now it'd be Bennett. Well, let's see if they have. It's a, okay. Here we go. We got. Oh wow! Yeah, Bennett. That's I might have to sprinkle some on Stetson. He's plus nine fifty right now. Georgia's schedule wow. is just not, you know, for for a team of Georgia's caliber, their schedule is not too crazy, and I, he's he's good, man. He knows exactly what he's doing within that offense. I, you know, I I don't think he's like a high high end NFL guy. He's definitely going to get an opportunity, going to get a cup of coffee, uh, but that dude is just a really good college football player. All right, I think uh, that about does it. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um... Let's see. We were discussing this. I can't remember if we discussed this. Doesn't doesn't matter. So the next podcast, the post Nebraska podcast, could be interesting because I'll be traveling Sunday morning, and I have no idea if I'll have a, a chance to to record it because I'll be getting back and then I, I got to go to work. I mean, there might be a window. It, you know, if if everything is on time, hopefully everything goes. I mean, there might be a window around. I don't know, like 11 or noon on Sunday to do one real quick uh, before I have to get in, get back into work for that day. So uh, if not, though, 
I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, you, you might have to get creative. I'll do it. No, I'm going to do a solo yourself. one. Yeah. If you can't go, I'll do a solo one, and we'll uh, we'll just we'll make do with what we got. All right, sounds good. Any final thoughts? Nah, I mean, nib high football really, really rules, and uh, <laughs> I'm really excited for college football again this week. It's nuts. We're all re- or all re- we're recording this on Thursday, already two days away from week three of the college football season. It's it just. Once it gets here, we wait so long for it to get here, and then once it gets here, it just—I mean—it just flies by, just goes goes just by like a rocket. Snap your fingers, snap your fingers, man. It's, yeah. All right. Until uh, until next time. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show, and if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review, and also tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.